Hey, Strategy Simplified, have we got a special session for you. In today's episode, Management Consultant CEO Jenny Ray LaRue shares Money Camp, a free money bootcamp. It's the first time ever that this proprietary training is being shared with the general public. It contains the high-level lessons on money that Jenny Ray learned from her years at Bain and her time buying and managing real estate and businesses. No matter where you're at in your journey with money or investing, this teaching is chock full of life-changing insights. And trust us, we do not say that lightly. There's more info on Money Camp at the link in this episode's show notes. In addition, Jenny Ray also introduces the Owner Class, a mentorship cohort that kicks off in early 2023. There are just 12 total seats available, so go to the link in the show notes to get more info and to join today. Okay, let's kick this thing off. So this is a mini money camp today. Uh, Money camp started last year. It started with a hike. I was on a hike with a couple of friends and we were talking about things that had shaped me and my background. And uh, this was just after my first run for political office. So I was debriefing and, and thinking about issues. But one of the questions that often came up when I was on the campaign trail was, you know, your state is really big. How do you know that you have the ability to operate a budget and an economy this size? And I said, well, I've been doing it for over 30 years. I've been trained on this and I have a lot of great fruit to show from it. And I realized that a lot of people are actually asking me not out of their question about me, but out of their own insecurity that they didn't have great financial foundations. And so I started the first money camp and uh, I invited people in my local community to come to a nearby restaurant. 25 people registered for the first money camp and uh, 50 came. So it was pretty hilarious because usually in this world of 25 people registered, 10 come or five come. And so I knew that there was something that was here. I've never charged anything for it. I won't charge anything for it, Uh, but we are going to do some elements of money camp in our one-on-one sessions in a class that we're offering starting in January. And so uh, at the end of this call, there are going to be two calls to action. Number one is going to be, if you want to book a free money camp, like I said, it's free. It's always free. You can't buy it. There's no book. Um, it's it's just something that, that we offer and we love to offer and we've done to transform people's lives. Uh, then you can do that at the end of this call. We'll give you a form to do that. Uh, if you want to have more one-on-one coaching, really in-depth interaction around some of the things that we're going to talk about today, then the owner class will be right for you. And we'll share the link for that at the end. So why am I unusual, right? You know, why why, why is this different than other money camps? And the first reason is really an, an attribute of how my parents trained me. My parents started training me on money, money issues, money management, money making, um, kind of all kinds of money things starting at age five. And so they did it in three stages. It was intentional, but I was kind of the guinea pig. I'm the oldest in my family. And so stage one was about spending. How do you make money and spend it wisely? That was ages five through 15. Stage two was about saving ages 16 through 25. And the focus for that was primarily on short saving. How do you save for something that's bigger than you can pay for out of a single job or a single paycheck? And stage three was investing. How do you build for the future, really for not just you, but your community, for future generations and more? 
And uh, all of the things that I have learned, uh, you know, really began with the foundations that my parents gave me. But I just wanted to run you through a list of some of the crazy things that I have spent time doing because I think it helps you understand where I'm coming from when I'm sharing about Money Camp. So number one, I've worked for Bain and other startups. I've been an employee and I actually spent the first decade of my career really focused on skill building and learning from other organizations while they were paying me, while they were professionally developing me. And one of the things that somebody told me when I went to Bain was pay attention to how Bain runs Bain. And so I've worked with our organization now and the other organizations that I've worked with to bring in some of the ideas and concepts from great places that I've worked before. I've invested in real estate and I'll share a little bit more uh, as I'm going through the call, but my husband and I started, we purchased our first real estate property 12 years ago, and we've been investing in real estate since then. So we now own 28 properties and we're the sole owner of those properties, although we do carry debt on some of them. Uh, farming. So my husband and I seven years ago bought a 181 acre farm and uh, I became a farm girl. I'm not a farm girl by nature. I'm a city girl, but I love uh, the farming aspect of what we've learned. It's really connected us to our food, to the land, to land usage, to water, uh, and to a lot of the issues related to farming. And I think there are going to be a lot of opportunities, both financially and just life-wise, in the future. So we have a dinner bell on our property because our children often are far enough away that we can't yell to bring them home. And uh, so that's our life is, is living on our farm um, and you know training our kids in some of the aspects of farming that we think are really beneficial for life in general. Nonprofits. I volunteered with a significant number of nonprofits. We give regularly to nonprofits. Uh, I've worked with nonprofits as an employee, but my largest one was Habitat for Humanity. And so the nonprofits that we worked with have really shaped our views on giving as well as actually practical money philanthropy. Um, in addition, there's some nonprofits that we've worked with that have been fully funded. They don't accept funding. Uh, and so we have different views on a number of nonprofits that we're related to. Owning companies. So I both started my own companies and also bought uh, one company and done diligence on a number of other companies. And so this is something that I'm going to talk about because nobody told me how great it was to buy a company from somebody else. And so I'll share a little bit about that as well. Um, in addition, I've got three kids. Uh, so, you know, I'm always thinking about how to do all of these things, not just so that I can spend time with my family, but so my family can be involved in the thing. So our kids come with us when we're doing real estate deals. They help us evaluate them. They're starting to run the numbers on those things. Um, and we've developed a lot of teaching materials about money through the things that we're doing with our family. Um, and in addition, I've done none of it for a year. I took an entire year. I shaved my head and I traveled around the world. And, uh, you know, so uh, I, I did that on a $7,000 budget. I did it like on a complete shoestring. I wasn't working. I wasn't working remotely. I was just not working. Uh, I was volunteering. I was exploring things that I loved. And that was a really pivotal year for me, it was when I actually changed my career trajectory to what I thought would have been medicine to business. And so, um, so I'm wild. I've done a lot of things, tried a lot of things, and I think there's more to come. Um, but that's kind of my background and where I'm coming from.
One of the things that I realized shaped a lot of my narrative, and I'll share a little bit more about this, is that my parents always told me I was good with money. When I when I had like $5, they told me I was good with money. <laughs> when I had $50, they told me I was good with money. When I had my first $5,000, they told me that I was good with money. Um, and I really wasn't great with money, but I was pretty good with money. And I, that, that shaped me. But maybe many of you have been told that you're bad with money. You know, hopefully at some point we'll be able to get one-on-one and we can really hash that out. So um, my core money value is, you know, there's this saying that has really shaped, especially American culture, which is that there are three things you shouldn't talk about, money, religion, and politics. And I actually think that that's really damaging for our learning process. I think we should be able to talk about all of them so that we can glean insights and ideas. Um, Last week, one of my great uncles passed away. And a couple of years ago, I went to visit him. Uh, And I asked him to take me on a tour of his commercial real estate. And this isn't something that anybody had ever done with him before. It was like, it was like industrial complexes and medical office buildings. Uh, It was so fascinating. And when he passed away last week, I couldn't feel anything except for gratitude that I'd spent just one day with him gleaning some of these insights. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that he spent the time running numbers with me and talking with me about money and there wasn't any shame involved in that. So uh, I've made a lot of mistakes. In fact, I'm about to share some of my money history with you. Uh, And so my class is super shame-free. And actually, a lot of people both cry and laugh when they're working with me one-on-one on money stuff. And when I say working with, like, it's free. You can't buy anything from me. I'm not a financial planner. But I just sit down and I run numbers with people and we talk about the future and what they want to do and what they want to build. And it really touches pieces of our hearts and soul. So I think that it's important Uh, that you know that today I'm not here to tell you that you're not where you want to be with your money. Um, I'm just here to say there are a lot of things that I really wish I would have known earlier on in my money journey, and I hope you can take them away. So uh, I also just believe every money mistake can be redeemed. And I'm going to start with my first one. So I've made three big investments. I've done a lot of things at the end. You can see like standard retirement, some money into brokerage, um, and I'm good at spending less than I make. I'm also really good at making money. But there are three big things that really changed my financial picture. Two of them have gone very well for me, and one of them has gone incredibly badly. (laughs) And and so this is where I start from. The first one is that, and this was the first one that I made. It was in my mid-20s. I invested at a quarter million dollars, which was more than 80% of what I had in the bank at that time um, in the equity of a startup that I worked for, really believed in. It was in the clean energy space. Um, And two of the co-founders ran away to another country, took all of the money uh, deposited out of the account and stole it. And I can super laugh about it now, but at the time, $250,000 felt like literally everything I would have in my entire life. It felt like my my nest egg, my everything. And it was really, really heartbreaking. And so uh, we can talk at some other time about how stupid it was, um, how I could have set up other protections, how there's a lot of stuff um, that happened. But I just want to let you know that I'm not coming to you from a place where I've done everything perfectly and it's all worked out. Like I've had a lot of ups and downs in my money journey. Uh, and, and everyone that I know that's really honest about this can say the same thing. Um, I invested about $100,000 to buy my first rental house. Uh, It was $82,000 and um, I spent about 18 to fix it up. And um, so I took that money and revolved it 
over and over and over again and kind of became my own bank for a number of houses and then started putting more money that was coming out of my companies into real estate. So I have 28 rental properties now. Um, rental properties are a great way to get rich slow. And I'll share about that in our investing part. Um, $80,000 I paid in a down payment when I bought my company. And my company is called Jungle Guides. One of the properties under Jungle Guides is management consulted. Um, I just did a little bit of calculating last night. I grew the valuation about 11 and a half times conservatively. Like that would be what, what somebody would pay just off the shelf without really doing a lot of diligence or understanding our market. Um, I, it, and at that valuation, my annualized return on investment was 28%, which is, will beat you know, any market anywhere. Um, and, and when a lot of people talk about Warren Buffett and a lot of his magic, you know, Warren Buffett is a um, grad, one of our probably most famous, maybe the most famous grad of Columbia Business School, which is my alma mater. Uh, but, but really, like the way that Buffett became wealthy was, the way that he's wealthy now is that he's managing his wealth, but the way that he became wealthy was through purchasing whole companies and um, growing those valuations at these kind of annualized rates instead of at standard market rates. Um, so those are really the three game changers for me was um, investing in startups um, and, you know, losing in my case, I've invested in others. None of them have really been big payoffs. Maybe at some point I'll return to investing in startups that other people are running. But right now I'm spending a lot of my own money just in rental real estate and also um, in companies. Why do I do this? I love problem solving. I love sitting with people. You know, yesterday I talked to somebody who's been trying to liquidate the assets of their business for over two years. And I just asked them one out of the box question. And they were like, we have literally never thought of doing that. And it was a solution to their issues, to a kink that they've had in the, the market and the sale of the assets. And they're, they're going to start pursuing it today. It was kind of this like immediate solution. And so I love that kind of problem solving that aha moment. That's why I loved consulting. That's why I enjoy running businesses is that I love that kind of problem solving. I love creativity. I love coming up with solutions that nobody's ever thought of before, pulling things together, pulling dots together that people haven't thought about before. I love people and every single person's financial story is different. So I love meeting with people and hearing about your financial story. Some of you are beneficiaries of mega inheritances, much more money than I will ever have. Some of you will not have much in your life, but you're going to have a tremendous amount of happiness. Some of you are in a place of divorce or other issues. Like there are just all kinds of things that are happening. And I just love walking with people through their journey because money is such an important part of it. And I love unlocking purpose and freedom. Uh, so for me, money has never really been about money. It's been about purpose. And, and one of the reasons that I think I've experienced a lot of freedom in my money journey is that I felt very sure that I'm fulfilling my purpose on the earth. And when I traveled for that year, that was really my primary question. Like, what, do, what makes me come alive? What do I love doing? Where do I love doing it? Who do I love doing it with? And once I figured that out, then the question of my money wasn't how to make it and save it. It was how do I unlock the maximum amount of money to let me do the maximum amount of purpose? And so I have really enjoyed my career, my life, my family, my farm, all of the building that I've been doing because it feels very purpose aligned. And um, I feel really free from comparison when I see other people doing amazing things. And I'm a good collaborator with a lot of people because I feel pretty secure in my own purpose. So I'm going to share today a highlight of the money journey. Uh, I'm going to talk about three stages of money. And then at the end, I'm going to share a little bit about my framework for giving. 
This is normally a two-hour class with a one-and-a-half to two-hour one-on-one follow-up afterwards. And some people have texted me like 6,000 times <laughs> since then. Uh, and so th- this is not something that I'm going to try to give you a 100% dump on today. I'm trying to share the money stages in our framework, the way that my parents taught me about money, and then also give you a couple of ahas. And hopefully that will, will you know, shape some of what you think about as we go forward. We'll be right back after this quick message. Are you frustrated with the status quo? Join the Owner Class. The Owner Class is a three-month mentorship program led by Jenny Ray. Over six one-on-one coaching sessions and three group trainings, you'll walk together to change the way you make big decisions around your career, your finances, and your relationships. The program kicks off in January and is limited to just 12 seats. If you're ready to ditch the nine to five and build the life and career you want, join the owner class today. Click the link in the show notes to learn more and join. So there are three money stages. And why I found this helpful to understand is that I would say that almost everybody comes to me and they see where I am. I'm in stage three, the investing stage. Uh, And they say, I want to do that. I want to do investing. I want to do more. Uh, with the money that I have. And um, often I'll just kind of do a little kicking under the hood and I'll say, great, let's just make sure that you have awesome foundations. Because let me tell you, if you're kind of out of control spending, you can do investing, like you can own a company, but you can also out of control spend inside a company. Um, If you're not great at saving, then whatever you're making isn't going to be put to the maximum amount of work for you. And so uh, I would, I usually will take people back and I've been doing this for about a year and a half now. So I'm watching people kind of go through what seems to be around a year long process to kind of reorient inside spending and or saving before they move on to investing. Spending, like I mentioned, was learning how to make money, feeling confident with your ability to make money in any economy, any environment, any season, any country, right? You're, you're just sure that you're going to be able to put something together to make money and you're confident that you're not going to spend it all once you have. And that can be really at any level, right? Making $26,000 a year, making $2.6 million a year or more. Um, The second one is saving. Saving is digging channels for your early wealth to run into. And saving, it looks like uh, investments that are primarily for your benefit. And I'll differentiate between that and investing in just a second. So saving is where you dig channels for short saving, things like a trip that you really want to take that's a dream trip, but you need the money built up for it. A car, um, kind of, you know, early down payments for your first house your retirement for yourself. Um, And I'll say this again in the saving stage, but most of the wealth building that has happened up until our time um, has been held in a middle to upper middle class that has understood this principle. And they actually never graduate beyond this. And you don't have to. You can graduate your entire wealth journey and you can pass away with wealth having only accomplished stage one and stage two. And our earlier generations, the ones that we've often been trained by or looked to, you know, my parents, my grandparents' generation and more, really emphasize the two of those. Investing is for people who have carved out all of those channels and want to do more for their community or for their legacy. 
And so uh, investing is not, to be really clear, a lottery ticket that you run with and try to make up for not having good spending and saving habits. Although that's where I see a lot of people, they're like, if I only invest wisely now, I can catch up for my bath money habits for the last 20 years. That that actually can be true. You could have real acceleration inside investing in five years. You can do what you never could have in a lifetime in saving, but you can't do it without spending and saving first. Because again, you can do all of that and ruin it all really quickly in the investing stage. And I've worked with people at all levels of the wealth curve and I've seen all the things. Uh, the last piece is giving. And I, I will just harken back to a conversation that I had with a colleague of mine in undergrad, where we were talking about when you should give, when, when you should give, how much you should give, um, whether you should give, right? Like what, like what is the purpose of giving? And, um, and he basically kind of said, like, he had a number in mind where he would start to give. My philosophy has been different than that. I, I've always believed that you should give at all times, in all seasons, uh, and that the measure of your giving changes based on the measure of your management over your money. The more authority you have over your money, the more you actually get to give. And so my husband and I are, are able to give now, today, more than we used to make in a year. Um, that our giving has replaced what we used to pay ourselves and what we used to make for ourselves. And uh, that has become a really fun part of it. But I'm also going to share in the giving portion, some other tools of giving. Uh, my giving isn't all tax-free and it's not all planned or to organizations. I give in other ways. Um, and that giving actually gives me more joy than any of the other kind of giving too. So I'll share a little bit about that at the end. I, I have about 20 more slides for each one of these stages. Uh, and if you later are like, hey, this was good. We, we want to bring Jenny Ray in to talk to our company or to talk to um, an organization that I'm a part of. Uh, again, it's free if you want to do that. But uh, I just wanted to give you a little taster. So I'm not going to be able to go into all the detail, but I am going to go into um, a little bit of the belief. So uh, when I was in South Africa teaching a class in 2015, one of the students who was in undergrad asked me, how do you know when you have enough money? And I said, oh, you decide. Like, it's it's not something that you can measure through a tool, through a um, decision point, through a number that's in your bank account. And I remember when I was at Bain, I asked somebody what her number was, and she said $10 million. Um, and my number is much lower than that. Like I'm, I'm actually pretty good way before I have 10 million liquid dollars to save somewhere. Um, but I loved that she had a number. I thought that it was interesting. Um, I thought that the question was good, but I actually think the right question is, how do you know when you have more than enough? How do you know when you have more than enough? And so I'm going to share a little bit about spending that helps to unlock that. Um, so the spending equation is how much you make minus how much you spend. And what is left over is how much you have left to save and invest. And, and literally this equation is simple enough that a child, my three-year-old can understand, right? How much money did you make? Do you want to make more money? Go back in the carpet. Um, and also uh, you spent all your money, so you don't have any more, right? You don't have anything left to put into your other categories, your saving and um, your giving and your investing categories. So um, what, here's what I think is really important about the spending equation. Uh, I think that most people, if they feel like they're not good with money, feel like they're overspending and they focus on ratcheting down their spending. And I think that it is really healthy for somewhere between six to 12 months to do that for yourself, to just 
enjoy life without spending money and to not tie the endorphins of spending to your enjoyment of life. But actually, almost everybody that I've seen that's broken free with money focuses on part one of this equation, how much you make. They focus on making more. They get a job with a higher salary. They add new contracts to a business. They open a business to be able to take on other people that help them subcontract. How much you make is way, way more important than how much you spend. My spending has increased by around 100% through my lifetime. My What I earn has increased by like a 50X factor of that. And so what, how much you make is going to be actually the really important thing. So usually when I spend time with people, we'll talk about the budget. We'll talk about optimizing some of the things, making your spending simpler, how to cover mortgage or rent in a way that could be, you know, more beneficial. But, but usually we're not trying to like negotiate around the edges. Um, the focus is just on making sure that in any season, however much you make is more uh, than what you spend. And your goal is really to have that always be positive. Uh, you graduate from stage one when you have extra every month for a year. So you're kind of noticing that you have like a, a pile up of money and or you're beginning stage two, which is saving where you're channeling that money in other places. Um, you have absolutely no credit card debt. That doesn't mean you use credit cards. It just means that every month you pay it off and you're able to do that every month, not like most months, every month. Uh, so consistently you you use your credit card debt and or you stop using credit cards. You have a better sense of um, where that comes from. And then you only use debt for houses, cars, and education. Um, and, you know, sometimes not even for all three of those. But those would be the three things that I would say, okay, you know, there is a business decision that can be made to use debt for those three things. Um, and so if that's not you yet, that's totally fine. But let me share one of my big ideas from what I teach about spending. I have kind of a budgeting process that's really different and revolutionary for people. And I'll just give you kind of my one disruptive idea for this. Um, budgets don't work. Don't budget. It's a huge waste of time. And uh, everyone will tell you, you should get on a budget. You should, you should get on your budget. I think it's a huge waste of time because everybody, here's what you do. You're like, I will spend $110 on my personal groceries for this month. And then you spend 80 or you spend 150. Like you never spend that money. And then there's money that you forget to budget that you have to take from somewhere and you don't know where to borrow it. And it becomes actually budget borrowing where you borrow from yourself and you build yourself a lending addiction from yourself to try to figure out where the money is going to come from. What I do believe in is backwards budgeting. I believe in figuring out what you spent money on and understanding that so that you kind of better put your money into three categories. So I do this once a year now. Uh, usually when people are starting out, I recommend you do it kind of monthly or quarterly. It's much more honest. Um, and you review your spending. You're like, oh, wow, I actually spent you know this much on X. I don't really care whether you spent 150 bucks a month on coffee and $80 a month on groceries. I don't care. I just care that you're honest about where your money goes. Uh, because I think that everybody should spend their money exactly how they want to, as long as they have enough. If you're going into debt, you're going to have to be more ruthless. Um, and then I recommend that people shift to three categories, predictable expenses. And one of your goals is to put every 
one of your expenses, if possible, into predictable expenses. So for example, um, a lot of counties, cities, and countries have what's called budget billing as an option for utilities. Usually utilities are a variable expense. You spend $52 this month and you spend $96 the next month and you spend $150 in the middle of the summer. Um, what budget billing does is you can you know, call up a utility and you can say, hey, I'd really like for you to um, annualize my total spend and then divide it every month. And I wanna pay the same exact rate every month. And there are other kinds of expenses that you can do that with, including retirement savings, even taxes, where you can save for taxes in a way that is predictable so that it's always the same amount that's coming out, even if your income is unpredictable. And so I think that's an incredibly helpful way to shift the maximum number of expenses to predictable because for me, predictable means I don't think about it. Um, predictable, I specifically don't use the word fixed when I talk about predictable spending because uh, you can change it. Like if you're spending a lot on housing and you don't want to, you can change what you spend. Um, if you're spending a lot on whatever and you don't want to spend that, or if you want to spend more on something, you can change what you spend. Unpredictable are primarily things like gas, or groceries or travel, right? Things that you don't do at the same rate every month in the same way. And I think that your goal in that category is to end up with some money left over. Like it could be $5 or it could be $500, but your goal is to spend it and, and to keep that money, um, at, you know, whatever is left over for anything that you don't need or want to spend. Um, but I usually recommend that that unpredictable money um, comes actually third. The second category for your money is really where you start to tap into stage two savings, which is purpose categories. Um, and I recommend that you have either one account or many sub accounts for these kind of purpose categories. And these are things that, um, that I'll talk about in savings. They're for short savings. This is where in a year you're like, hey, I want to take a trip to... Um, you know, the, uh, the to, to Northern Ireland, right? I want to take a trip to Northern Ireland. I don't know why I picked Northern Ireland. It literally just came into my mind. But um, I want to take a trip to Northern Ireland and it's going to cost me more than my 500 bucks that's usually left over in my unpredictable category every month. So I'm going to put $300 for five months into that category and that's going to save me for that trip. Um, purpose categories are unlimited because they're your purpose. So it can be for learning and education. It can be for savings for retirement. It can be for giving. It can be for spending on a hobby like fixing up an old car. It can be for investing in real estate. It can be for future goals. It can be for financial goals. It can be for spending on something that you just really enjoy. Um, and what I love is that those purpose categories are just, they're just literally never the same for any two people or two families. Um, and so your goal in, in this budgeting process is to shift as much as possible to predictable. Like they're covenants that you've already made, right? Put as many things into there and, and make sure that you have those there. And if you're not, if you don't feel like you're great with money, take them off your credit card and put them into a debit account, right? Because then you're like really accountable to making sure that what you've committed to, you're paying every month. If you're paying too much for a cell phone contract, like change your cell phone contract, right? Um, then all your purpose categories, get money funneled out to them. And then unpredictable is everything else. And you just spend it and you spend it and, until it's gone. So, um, you know, you eat beans and rice for the last three days of the month if you spend it all. And maybe next month you won't spend quite as much, quite as fast, right? So um, I'm anti-budget. Um, and I just want to let you know that I really think that backwards budgeting works because it's honest. 
Um, it's purpose driven, it's personal, but I think forward budgeting is actually really constraining. Um, and I met with a woman yesterday who just cried and cried because she just like can't keep up with her budget. And I was like, here's an idea. Let's just not budget. Right? And she almost fell off her chair. Um, but, but when we talked about it, it, it you know, it, I'm not saying don't have any idea where your money goes. I'm just saying don't budget, right? Don't budget. Just put your things into categories that are easy to use. Um, if you have credit card debt that you can't pay off immediately with saved funds, like stop using any credit cards. I actually have a credit card. It's not here on my desk, but um, I, somebody gave me a credit card when we were meeting and she was like, here it is, <laughs> right? Take it away from me. Like I, I don't want it. Um, I want you to hold it until I'm ready to use it again. And so, um, I don't know, maybe for Christmas, I'm going to get like 600 credit cards in the mail where people are like, here, hold my credit card for me. Um, but, but just don't use it. Like it, there's no amount of points or benefits or anything else that a credit card can give you that is worth financial stress. Um, and so I, I didn't get a credit card until I was 20 years into my money journey. And um, my kids won't have their first one until they're at least, you know, out of college and in their first 20s, or I don't know if they'll go to college, honestly, they might be like hackers or something else like that. But, um, uh, but, but I think it's really, really important that you have money discipline before you have it. And sometimes you start the credit card process and you're like, oh, missing the money discipline you need to get. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about saving. So level one saving is where you're saving for things that you're going to use in your lifetime, okay? Um, and the difference between saving and investing is that once you have maximized your saving, you've actually taken care both of today's present needs as well as your future needs for your entire lifetime. So saving is when um, you either have a maximum retirement fully funded or you are funding your retirement um, to a maximum level. Um, and so long savings, I generally recommend that a good benchmark for long savings is a million dollars. And most people look at me with these like big googly eyes, like how am I ever going to save a um, million dollars? And you know, you save it a thousand dollars at a time, right? Like you don't save it all at once. Um, and you don't, well, you do play the lottery probably, right? Especially when the Powerball is like a, at a billion dollars, you play, but but you don't win usually. And so this is the way that you get there kind of just um, in the, the slow and steady process. Um, so you're looking for long savings, generally in a retirement account or fund um, or in a planned pension if you're working for an organization that will give you a pension um, that goes to around a million dollars. And why is that? Well, um, at a million dollars, you usually can take 4% of that um, as interest without tapping into your capital ever. So you'll have $40,000 to live on um, without tapping into your capital. It's probably not enough for most of us, and it won't be enough then, uh, especially with inflation rates as they're happening right now, but it's a really good starting benchmark. And uh, most people that I talk to just aren't there yet. They don't have the million dollars in their long savings. And so they know that their kind of primary focus is not investing. Like you're you're not trying to trade stocks until you've got the long savings to a million dollars. Um, housing, right? So um, housing, um, your, your goal for housing is to have a free house paid for by the time you want to retire. And um, so in the U.S., our structure is usually set up where you have around a 30-year mortgage, but your goal is to pay off a house in some portion of time before you're whatever, in your 60s or 50s or whenever you want to retire. Um, the earlier you start, the usually earlier you have the housing piece paid for, the more you get to funnel money into long savings and or short savings. Um, but if you have those two things, the ability to live somewhere 
Um, and you can trade it at some point in your life. If you want to live somewhere different, you want to live in a different place and, or you want to live in a retirement home or have care um, your housing is the funding for that. Um, and then the, the long savings helps you pay for things like food and travel and, and the other things that you want to do. Um, you'll probably have other kinds of income like social security. Um, and hopefully if you move on with me to stage three, you'll have, you know, real estate income and or business income and our other kinds of income. Um, but, but, but if you have those two things, you will be at like where more than 92% of America has gone um, over time, right? This major middle class that has basically funded themselves for their future. And then you also have in the process short savings. And so short savings accounts are like, you know, around or up to $10,000, $20,000. And these accounts are for things like down payments for houses, down payments for, for second houses, down payments for rental houses, um, cars for, um, you know, remodels for a home, for large trips that you want to take. Those short savings are not to be for your future and for your present. They're just for your present. Um, and your ability to save those things keeps you out of trouble, out of debt, builds discipline, um, and also helps you to kind of improve your financial management picture overall. Um, so I just put a little bit of the detail, right? Your housing on the right-hand side is to pay off over around 20 to 30 years. Some people want to pay it off faster. Um, your housing is one of the best like debt leveraged ways for you to pay slowly and to put your cash into these other things that can grow at higher rates. So I'm actually a fan of longer payoff periods, even though you pay more interest in the process. Um, long savings, you know, in general, you want to put, for example, in the US, a minimum of 500 bucks a month per, a year, per adult per year away into a Roth IRA. One of the mistakes that I made in my early um, period of uh, earning is that I didn't put money into a Roth every year because there were some years where I felt like I wasn't making um, enough to do that. And I should have actually taken money out of my savings and put it in a Roth. Um, and that should be something like from the moment that you start to work, you put money into until you make too much. Um, I make now make too much and I can't put money into my Roth anymore. Um, and a Roth IRA is a tax advantaged account. It's actually um, how some major investors that you would have heard their names of um, bought companies through their Roths and then sold them tax-free. So you're able, if you have bulks of money inside your Roth, to do really, really advanced stuff financially. Um, and then short savings, I put, again, just the list on here, right? New car, new house, big expenses, emergency funds. People ask me all the time, do I have an emergency fund? The answer is no. I have an, a bank account big enough to pay for any emergency. So I don't have an emergency fund anymore. So there are some things that you might save for early on so that you make sure you have a financial cushion, but later you'll have like financial cushion in multiple directions. So you won't worry about it as much. You graduate from stage two when you own your home um, when you maximize your retirement contribution, so whatever you can put into retirement in all of the sources, Roth and or 401k and or pension and or pension matches, et cetera, um, when you're maximizing 100% of that going in um, and you have extra savings to deploy to short savings accounts. Um, and again, I just want to emphasize you have, there is no guilt, no shame and no issue with having the financial simplicity and awesomeness of never graduating from stage two, right? From just completing it and then never going um, beyond that. Because um, when you move beyond it, you do inherit the ability for a lot of upside, but you also get a lot more risk. 
Uh, my disruptive idea, idea is just like, you never have to actively invest in anything. I mean, some of you guys are probably here to learn about investing. I'll share about it in just a second, but like, you just don't have to do it. If you're good at saving, you don't have to do anything. You can passively invest by putting your money into a target retirement fund um, or you know, using it to pay off a house for your entire life, keep things super simple and have a great life where you get to do pretty much everything that you ever wanted to do. Um, most people save last. I recommend saving first. And I think it's really helpful to open up or shift to multiple sub-accounts for purpose-driven uh, savings. Um, also just a couple of big ideas, right? I check my savings only once a year. It's, this isn't something that I'm checking all the time. Um, if you have a saving system set up, you shouldn't have to check it. And then you're like, wow, I saved a lot of money. If you check it every month, it doesn't feel like you make these big incremental gains, but it, you should be funneling money into savings kind of, you know, at, at all times or as um, Nari asked into these bulk periods. And then spend and replenish your short savings, right? You, you never touch your long savings, your retirement for the future, but your short savings, like you save for a car and then you spend it and you save for another car and then you spend it the next time. So all of that um, is meant to be uh, on purpose. Not again, not just to build this, but if you want to move on to stage two with me to make sure you've got that um, all tied down, organized and systematized so that stage three becomes really fun. Um, so speaking of investing, let's talk about this really quickly, right? Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about investing. It feels like this massive black box of investing. Um, and my parents were really only good at the middle kind of investing. Like they were good at investing in securities um, and they would pick a single stock um, or, you know, target retirement funds or index funds. And this is the like lightest weight way to invest and it's not better or not worse. Um, but, but generally you're going to kind of pick one and spend a season on it. Like you're going to pick real estate and you're going to spend a decade on that, or you're going to pick companies and you're going to spend a season because the more diligence you do and the better operator you are, the more you're going to want to buy more companies. Um, or you're going to feel like you study the market and understand like where you feel like the market is going and you try to do trades in the market. Um, but overall, you're going to do all three of them. So you kind of might dabble in a few. Um, so for real estate, right, each real estate account is a savings account that renters pay into. Um, and it's the optimal use of debt if you follow our three rules of real estate. And um, I'll share more about the three rules of real estate in a longer money camp. But, but basically, like... It, Real estate is the only place where people give you a lot of money to make money over 30 years. Like you, you do not get debt on any of the other things um, in the same way until you built like a LBO, a, a leveraged buyout fund or a like massive private equity firm, right? Like those, that's how those make money in securities and companies. But in real estate, they just give it to you. Like you just walk in off the street with your, you know cute little hoodie and they'll give you like a couple hundred thousand dollars. So real estate is a great place to start for that. Um, for securities, it's just buying portions of other people's stuff, right? Index funds, stocks, bonds, currencies, target retirement funds, et cetera. Um, they're super liquid. You usually make whatever they're going to make for you. And it's not usually 28%, right? And so I love companies and real estate um, because companies help you build, buy, and invest. Um, and, and I am a huge fan of buying companies. It's something that I think people have not done. When I bought my company, I was the only person that I knew that had ever done it. Now I know a couple people who have bought companies, but like when you're buying a company, you're, you're de-risking actually majorly because you're identifying that there's already a client base that is already paying for what you're buying. And so your job becomes only growing it instead of starting it and growing it. Um, so I've really enjoyed 
the vetting process and I'm confident that I'll do it more in my life. Um, so you graduate from stage three when your legacy for your children's children is complete. Everyone in your city who can work um, has a job and your community is fully in it. So, so basically you never graduate, right? I met with 80 year olds when I was on my political campaign and I asked this one guy, I said, seems like you really like business. He was like, it is the best sport in the world, right? You know, and you kind of get that feeling like you, you just get going and it gets more fun and more fun and more fun, but you build competency in investing. It's not something that you're good at the first time you try. You, you try, you try and fail, you try and you go slow and then you find bursts of, of investing. Um, but again, investing is really only fun when it's when, when you could literally lose everything and you're still fine because stages one and two are cool. Um, and so investing gets really fun when that happens because that's when you can begin to generate massive, massive returns on your time and capital. So uh, my disruptive idea is basically like don't invest in liquid things except for in a retirement account. Um, buy companies for cash and real estate for leverage tax benefits. Um, most people want to be good at stocks. I just recommend buying a whole company. Like if you're going to spend 10 years trying to trade the market where you have no control, just buy one company, like focus on that um, and, and, you know, buy it, start it, build it. Um, you're going to make a lot more money. You're going to have a lot more control. You're going to learn a lot more and you're going to have, I think, a lot more fun. You're not going to wake up every morning with your, you know, a hole in the pit of your stomach because the market dropped 26%. Um, real estate is an amazing way to get rich slow. Like people that come to me, they're like, I want to do real estate. I'm like, awesome. You'll be, you'll be rich in 20 years. Um, and, and like, you have to recognize that that's what you're doing because the headache of somebody calling you at three in the morning, because they lock themselves out of your house and you're like, call a freaking locksmith. Like, don't call me in, you know, uh, for this. This is not what I'm here for. Um, like you do a lot of educating of people in real estate and, um, and it, it's slow and it's headache filled. Um, but it is an amazing way to get rich slow um, and invest for more than money. So like if, if you are only investing to try to make a maximum amount of money, you will get returns, but it won't be fun. If you're investing to build community, uh, to build skills, to build relationships, to build problem solving capabilities, um, to expand a community, like you're going to have a lot of fun uh, when you're investing. But again, you can only really do that if you've locked up the first two. Um, and then finally, just a couple of calls to action. If you want to have us host a free money camp, um, I, I would you know, love to come either in person or more likely virtually to work with your organization. And that could be an organization that you're a member of, that you're a leader of. Um, it could be a faith community. It can be in the US. It can be international. Um, I love teaching these. And um, my requirement for meeting with me one-on-one -on -one is that people have to have attended either a mini money camp or a full money camp. So if you're like, hey, I know people in my company would love to do this. You can organize it. Uh, again, it's free. I'm not selling anything. Um, you can't give me your money to manage, but I'm super happy to help. And I love going through this process. Um, it like it there really is no upsell. Most people come to this point and they're like, no, no, they're, they're like, there's gotta be something that like a e-course or no, there's there's really not anything. Um, we have not built it, we may not build it, maybe we will. I have no idea, but but that's just not where we are. We're just loving doing this for free. Um and uh, the last thing that I just want to share about at a super high level is that I think that there is such a concept as becoming generous. I used to think that people either were generous or they weren't, but I think generosity is something you practice. 
And I'm recognizing this because I have kids, they're young and I'm working on teaching them um, generosity, but, um, but also because I myself um, actually didn't really start generous and becoming generous. Um, I'm much better at saving than I am at generosity. So I have um, found real joy in giving in a couple different ways. I give the first 10% of my income. Um, in my case, I give it to my church. Um, but I love the discipline of that. It's been a really fun thing that I've done and it has unlocked a mentality for giving um, that's helped with other things. I have other commitments that I've made for regular support to different organizations. Um, and then my favorite kind of giving is spontaneous giving. Um, and actually a couple years ago, I started giving, when I buy something, I give one of it away. Um, some of it I do in lumps, like I give groceries away in lumps at the end of the year. So I'm about to come up on that now. Um, but some of it, like if I'm out to dinner, I'll have our kids pick a table with the same number of people that we have at our table and we'll pay for somebody else's meal. Um, and I think all three are really valuable, right? Tithing um, or, or standard giving out of your core income, planned giving and spontaneous giving. And there's a lot more uh, to come from that. So uh, if you want to become generous, you know, make sure that you're following us on our show, social channels. So, um, but just, you know, follow us um, and come along on the journey. Um, Money Camp, like I mentioned, is a small part of what we're doing in our class that we're starting in January. There are 12 spots available for it. Um, it's called the Owner Class, and it's about relationships, career, and finances. Uh, and it's small, right? So there's 12 seats available. But if you're interested in it, um, go over, check it out, send us an email if you have any questions. We'd love to have you join us if you want to transform the way that you're currently thinking about, uh, like I said, your career, your relationships, and your money. Thanks for listening to this Money Camp training. If you were intrigued by what Jenny Ray shared today, there are a couple of ways you can get involved. The first is to bring Jenny Ray in to teach a free group Money Camp to your organization. The second is to join the owner class. Again, there are just a few seats available to join this life-changing cohort for breakthrough in your finances, your relationships, and your career. The third way to engage with this conversation is simply to share this podcast with people you love and care about. That's it. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Strategy Simplified. We hope you enjoyed. If you did, go ahead and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think. We'll catch you again soon.